Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 27 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host and my name is Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And if you are just tuning in to today's show, I want to just share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. My goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through the stories of people each week that have dedicated their lives to being servant leaders in all different walks of life and to demonstrate to you that when you honor God, blessings just naturally follow as a byproduct of that servant leadership. Because I truly believe that when you see a need, we need to fill a need because all of us are ministers given special gifts by God and we need to use those gifts to love and care for other people in any walk of life. In this show and previous episodes, we've heard from people that have careers in the military, people in business, people that live that out in their faith, through their community, and even within their family. And so my encouragement to you is to find a way within your walk of life to live that out, to be a servant leader. So just a little bit about me for today's show. I think I mentioned a couple episodes in the past, I am a graduate of the King's College ROTC program, Reserve Officer Training Corps. That's how I got my commission in the United States Army. And I've also, through my work at the American Bible Society, I've had an opportunity to work with many different military ministries. And so because of those two connections, I have an incredible show for you today with two really great servant leaders that focus on both their community and the military. The first, I am absolutely honored to have my longtime friend and mentor, Mr. Bob Thomas, as my guest in the first half. He's a retired Army major and now currently serves as a professor at East Stroudsburg University. My second guest is Mr. Bill Kamer. He's a retired Army Master Sergeant and Chaplain Assistant. He's a former coach and assistant professor of military science, and he currently serves as the executive director at the Chapel of the Four Chaplains at the Navy Base in Philadelphia. You are in for one heck of a show today. When we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mr. Bob Thomas. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Mr. Bob Thomas. Bob, are you on the line? Yes, hi. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your Sunday to be on the program here today. Well, it's my pleasure, Paul. It really is. Well, Bob, you have done so many different things in your career, but I feel like maybe the beginning of your story starts in the Army. So if you wouldn't mind, would you share with the listeners like how, when, and why you decided to join our Army? Well, Paul, uh, actually, I, uh, you know, I was a, a pretty smart uh, high school student, 
but I had no um, real way to pay for higher education. Right. Um, and one of the things that um, brought me to the military was um, a you know a need for financing of my higher education. And so that's uh, one of the things that I looked into and. I was always involved uh, in, um, you know, I was involved with the Boy Scouts when I was younger. I was involved in a uh, uh, junior Masonic order uh, by the name of Demolay, and I really started to understand the value of close-knit brotherhood, um, and I really wanted to continue that, and I yes. thought the Army was a great place to do that. And how old were you when you signed up? I uh, I enlisted at 18 years old. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, although it was a very, um, um, uh, it, it, was, it was a tough decision, not for me, but for my family. Right. Um, it, uh, it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. So, 18 years old, you enlisted, but eventually you transitioned to officer. So, was that OCS, green to gold, ROTC? What did that look like for you? It did look, it was uh, ROTC. I, I enlisted, uh, went to my basic training, and then uh, came back and uh, did um, ROTC, uh, uh, Reserve Officers Training Corps, at King's College in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And uh, um, two years later, because I had my basic training out of the way. Two years later, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant at age 20 years old. At King's? At King's, yes, I did. Well, I, I did not know that about you. That's that's pretty interesting. So, Bob, what roles did you have in the Army? What were you branched as? How did you serve? Um, well, uh, in regular Army and, and uh, National Guard, I actually served 23 years total. Um, Actually, four on active duty, and uh, uh, the remainder of that 23 years or 19 years as National Guard. Um, I served uh, in the Army and National Guard first. The first 11 years, I was infantry. Uh, the last 12 years, I was an armor uh, officer. Okay. And so, in all that time in active duty, guard, infantry, and armor, what, if anything, did the Army teach you about being a servant leader, about how to care and love for others? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, one of the tenets, one of the values of the Army is selfless service. Yes. And so, uh, actually, you know, when you really look at that, it means serving others with, you know, no immediate uh, grat- self-gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that anyone who puts on the uniform and serves for any length of time understands that the missions uh, that our military are asked uh, to conduct uh, put themselves at, you know, uh, physical, mental, uh, emotional uh, risk all the time. And uh, in order to um, be a be a, a, a part of the Army Brotherhood, um, Sisterhood, uh, one must 
uh, have a servant's heart. Absolutely. And, you know, that becomes even more apparent when you look at the situations that are going on today in Afghanistan and all the conflicts around the world. It is a big lift to serve in the military and particularly our army right now because there's a lot going on in Afghanistan related to army, but other branches of service, of course. And it is not easy for the service member or for the family members that remain home behind. Oh, absolutely. Um, just as uh, the service member, um, you know, serves, so too does the family. Yeah. Uh, the family even more so. Um, the service member has made a commitment, you know, raised their, their hand and, and has pledged to support and, and defend the Constitution of the United States mm-hmm. against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And, you know, that is the individual service member's um, pledge and their decision, and um, it carries a lot of weight with it. However, you know, the family, you know, when the service member is uh, deployed or away at training or whatever, the service member or or the service member's family uh, also bears that burden. And, you know, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but um, they did not make that decision. They did not make that pledge. But in essence, they do, you know, serve just as the service member serves. Absolutely. And, Bob, I know from our previous conversations, you've deployed yourself a number of times. So I'm, I'm curious how the military and, you know, going out to do the nation's bidding, uh, how that affected your family throughout all the different times that you've had to be away for training or deployments? Well, uh, you know, uh, my last deployment to Kosovo, and, and again, this was a long time ago, I, I retired in 2004, um, but um, in my last deployment to Kosovo, I left my wife with three daughters, um, and uh, the eldest of which was uh, 13 at that time. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, I mean, I had to leave them and uh, served a year uh, on active duty, um, both stateside and in Kosovo, uh, training, training for that mission and, and then executing that mission. And, uh, you know, I lost a year of my time with my wife, uh, but also time with my daughters. I lost a year of them growing up. Uh, uh, I did I did get to see them probably about nine months into uh, my deployment. Um, I, I was able to get uh, out of the uh, um, out of the box as as we say um, in the in the business. I was able to get out of the box for a three day uh, period of time in, uh, Bulgaria, believe it or not. And, uh, I actually, um, flew my family from Pennsylvania to, uh, Sofia, Bulgaria to spend three days with me, um, just because I miss them so much. Wow. Well, I, I have to imagine that it's not all sacrifice, you know, so for the 23 years that you served, I have to imagine that you also derive some blessings from being in our army and wearing that uniform for so long. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, it's not a one-way street. Um, yes, you serve, but there are so many blessings that come with it. Um, and, and most of it is, you know, my many good friends, my brothers and sisters in arms that uh, I got to know uh, over that 23 years. Um, many of them uh, are still very good friends of mine. And, and quite frankly, near nearer to the end of my career um, is when I got involved with the ROTC at King's College. And, and that's when I met great young uh, officers uh, or officers, officer candidates like yourself and like so many others that, that went through uh, the Army ROTC program at King's College. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that has always been in my heart is like why you chose to invest so much time in me and so many other people that were at King's. I mean, particularly, I know you had a heart for the ROTC program, but you also invested in a lot of accounting students and really anybody that would be willing to, you know, listen to what you had to say and wanted to seek your help. I mean, you always had your door open and you always had time for it. So I'm curious why you were able and why you wanted to pour so much time to into young kids like us. Um, Paul, I, I, I think that, um, you know, as I, as I look back, I believe that I have a servant's heart. Um, now, I don't know if that's something that people are born with or not, but I get great pleasure. Uh, I derive great pleasure from uh, being a part of other people's development, yeah. uh, their lives, their uh, maturing process, uh, their knowledge process. And, you know, uh, you know, you and others like you in the King's ROTC program, which again, you know, I was just, I, I was serving at that point, I was serving as, uh, King's College's, uh, controller, uh, the chief accounting officer of the college. Um, but I did see a need. I saw that, you know, there was, um, there was, there were, cadre members from a the mother um, uh, university that you know would come down occasionally and interact with um, the ROTC cadets at Kings and I thought you know hey it would be so much better uh, especially you know I, I wanted to keep myself as physically fit as I could um, if we could really solidify the um, Army PT program at Kings, yeah. and, and that's how I started to work with uh, the Army ROTC cadets at Kings College. It so is, again, it wasn't a one-way street. I was driving uh, much um, benefit from it, not only physically but also uh, mentally. I, I loved interacting with uh, the cadets, and you know, it, it began my process to desire to be a full-time college professor, um, which is what I do now. Awesome. And Bob, I, I wonder, is there a time in all of the years that you served as a mentor for ROTC cadets, is there something that stuck out to you as just a time when God showed up, just a really memorable occasion? Well, you know, the most memorable occasion... Uh, 
uh, was, um, and this is this is a little bit of a story, but um, actually happened on uh, September the 11th of 2001. Um, and after we had realized the devastating attack on our nation, mm-hmm. uh, a few of the ROTC cadets came to my office. Uh, again, I was serving as the controller of Kings at that time, and, and they said, you know, Captain Thomas at that time, right. you know, they said, Captain Thomas, we, we want to help in New York City. And I said, well, you know, guys, I, you know, I don't know how best to help. And they said, we want to go. We want to help. And I said, okay. You know, um, I went to the, uh, to the dean of students and I said, look, you know, these young people are going to go with me or without me to New York City to try to assist uh, in the 9-11 cleanup, to do whatever we can do. Right. And that night uh, of 9-11, we ended up in a minivan uh, school, uh, or not a minivan, a 12-passenger van with uh, 10 cadets and myself and uh, drove to New York City. Uh, we we ended up at the Javits Center where we, you know, we saw uh, not, you know, we, we were equipped with picks and shovels. Uh, we saw these, you know, uh, teams of uh, searchers that had come in from all over the world to help in this effort. And, and you know, although we reported into the command center at the Javits Center, we, we you know, were not put into... Uh, we were not put into service. Um, and after being there for about 24 hours, I said to the, to the group, I said, you know, we don't have what they need down there. But I said, you know, before we leave, I'm going to try to get us as close to um, ground zero as I can so that we can see what's going on. And we drove to within three blocks of ground zero and where we were stopped uh, by two police officers. And one police officer was not very nice to us and told us to, you know, uh, get the, you know, whatever out of the area. Mm-hmm. And the other, I explained to them both that I was with a group of ROTC cadets who wanted to assist. And I said, is there any way that you can describe to them what's going on down uh, in it just, a few blocks from where we were. And the one officer said, you know, uh, I'll tell them. And he started to tell the story of what he had witnessed down three blocks of south of where we were. And began to cry. And his the, the gray uh, dust that was over everything uh, from the buildings collapsing, you know, you could see the tears coming down through the gray uh, dust on his face. Wow. And after that time, you know, we thanked the officers and we turned around and um, we, one of the cadets, and I don't know who it was, it may have been Atiba Celestine, said, let's pray. Yes. And the 10 of us, 11 of us with me, knelt there in the street and prayed for all of those who had lost their lives that day for all of those who were uh, trying to help that day, I'm I'm getting a little uh, yeah, up I, here now as I tell you this. But, I get it, Bob. 
Um, Absolutely. That was that was the time that I remember, and it was a it was a cadet who said, "Let's let's pray for these people," you know, and we did right there in the middle of the street. Bob, I love that, and you're making me come to tears, and I, I can't believe we're already at the end of our time. But Bob, I want to thank you so much for pouring into me for so many years and helping me make make me the guy I am today in so many different ways and thank you for being on the show and thank you for mentoring so many other people and thank thank you for the opportunity to mentor uh, you know and as I said Paul it's it's not a one way street night and, and I derive great joy from seeing the success of those who um, I've had a chance to interact with over the many years thank you so much Bob all right when you we have come a great day you too Bob when we come back from the break, I will be joined by Mr. Bill Kamer. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Mr. Bill Kamer. Bill, you on the line? I'm on the line. Hey, sir. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time out of your Sunday to be on the show here today. Hey, no problem. Bill, you have done a lot of different things with your life, and one of the things that I love about your story is being a chaplain assistant and serving for so long in the military, but I'm curious how you got started in that role. What made you want to get into being a chaplain assistant and joining our Army? I kind of went about it, as my dad said, kind of backwards. Um, okay. In the 70s, I had a full ride to be a, uh, as an ROTC um, student, mm-hmm. but I decided I'd rather run track and keep my hair long. And, and then a little bit later, I was working on my master's. I was running marathons, and I decided, you know, I still want to serve. So actually, at age 30, <clears throat> I walked into a recruiting office in Des Moines, Iowa, and I looked through a few items. I heard a little bit about the chaplain corps, um, and then I realized they had this assistant position that would work with the chaplains. And I thought it was a good fit. I was a school teacher at the time. I had my master's degree. Chaplains come to the ministry with a master's. And I did understand what the unit ministry concept was where you work one-on-one with the chaplain. It just seemed like a good fit. I figured I'd bring my skills as a teacher and educator and walk alongside the chaplain. And, and originally, tell you the truth, I thought I was going to serve four years active duty um, in, in, in Germany, which I did. Uh, I had no plans on coming back and continue that service, but I enjoyed it, and it was a good fit, so I ended up serving 30 years as a chaplain assistant. Wow, four years to 30. I love it. So, I, Bill, i, I got to ask. I mean, so if you already had your master's degree and you were already a school teacher – there's a big dose of humility in going from that kind of guy to going back into the enlisted ranks and now being a chaplain assistant. And arguably, I would think that you start off as maybe an E3 or E4 before you grow up into a master sergeant. Is that right? Yeah. When you come into the service on the enlisted side, if you have a college degree, when you lead basic training, you're, you become a specialist or E4. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a little bit of a... I have to admit, it hurt a little bit my ego when I'm working with young captains or majors and, and their salaries much higher than mine. Yeah. And um, 
and yet I feel like I'm working just as hard or yeah. maybe harder in some aspects. But, you know, it fit because I think my skill set, um, you know, the NCO side of the side of the force, uh, more of the mentoring um, side, mm-hmm. you're right there with 90% of the force is existed. Yeah. And um, as a school teacher, that's who I got to hang out with, you know, all the time. You know, so I thought it was a good fit, and it also allowed me to um, direct people to the chaplain that they may not know that either, A, they need to go see the chaplain, or the chaplain might not know what their issues were. So, um, And I, I tell you the truth, when I returned to Iowa, one reason I stayed was um, as an educator, on the enlisted side, there's a different commitment when you belong to the National Guard mm-hmm. than the officer side. There's a lot more... I want to say a lot more meetings, a lot more planning mm-hmm. early in your career, and I felt the balance worked much better for me staying as an assistant. Well, so I'm curious. I mean, if you had a background as a school teacher, and you said that part of what you enjoyed as a chaplain assistant is being able to serve as a mentor, because you know you're kind of engaging with a lot of the force. I, what did you learn about servant leadership? in your capacity of engaging with the service members that you served and uh, and working with the chaplains? Like, what lessons did you take away about what it means to be a real servant leader? I think the two biggest lessons were, one, I learned early that 90% of the people that walked into the chapel when I was in Germany didn't need to see the chaplain. Mm. They just need to see somebody that wasn't yelling at them. Okay. You know, so they might have had issues, financial, they might have had relationships issues. Um, so I found that there was a, a big need for somebody to walk alongside the chaplain yeah. to handle some of those issues so they could do what they were called to do, which okay. was, you know, be the spiritual you know, <clears throat> leader of that, of that unit. Yeah. You know, chaplains, I mean, you go to seminary for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're called by God to serve. And some of that, I think my role was to protect that so the chaplain would do what their gifts, their, you know, God gifts they gave, gave them to do. Yep. And I think I, I carried that over when I left um, active duty. When I talked to churches, um, I encourage you know, the members of the churches to support their pastors or ministers or rabbi um, as best they can because everything you do allows them to do um, ministry, right? You know, so I think that was the biggest takeaway that I took from my time as a chaplain assistant. Wow. Well, then after that, if I understand your bio correctly, you kind of transitioned into being a coach for cross country and track, and then also an assistant professor of military science. So, what what did that look like for him? Like, how were you able to live yeah. that servant leadership in that capacity? Yeah, you know, I've always stayed. I always said I've been an educator, but I've been one of these guys that probably held like had different roles where, you know, it's just, things kind of just worked, uh, just things worked out that way. So mm-hmm. when I taught school, um, I stayed in the guard. I was in the guard in okay. Iowa for 10 years. And then when I moved to Portland, Oregon, I taught school and, and stayed in the guard. And, and that's where I coached. Um, I found that coaching, um, and when I learned the military was a good combination. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of leadership kids can learn outside the classroom and coaching is kind of a non-threatening way to do that. Yeah. I like, I like long distance coaching, cross country track. Um, they're very democratic sports cause you just line kids up and the fastest kids make varsity. So you don't get a lot of debate with parents. <laughs> like, you know, my kid, my kid deserves to start. Well, you know, 
all you got to do is say, you know, look at his time. Them against the clock. So, so I didn't have that worry about that part of the coaching aspect. <clears> and, uh, uh, the ROTC kind of came because of the, um, the ramp up with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They needed a, a senior NCO that had a master's degree in the state of, um, Oregon to go to Portland State and, mm-hmm. and teach young cadets. So that's how I just kind of got drafted to do that. So. And so in all that time, was there something that really stuck out to you when God showed up and you were able to really make an impact on the lives of your students? Yeah, I get, it was interesting, you know, what I always look for when I look at young people, I look at them, especially young soldiers, um, they come with sometimes not a lot of, you know, um, uh, they don't come with a great plan when they join the military. They join the military, they need a job, right. maybe they want a little adventure, but I always looked at it as trying to make that experience bigger for them, okay. that it was a bigger stepping stone. So I always look back at this young private in Germany who never left the base because he was afraid because everybody spoke German. You know, and I started making him go with me when I travel and I took him to the Olympics in Barcelona and I remember getting a letter from him a couple years later and he moved to Indiana, went to college, got married, had kids and he says, you know, I never, I never would have did that unless somebody would take an interest and showed me there was something bigger than just, you know, being a private working in the motor pool. Right. You know, and, and that's kind of, I felt my role in the military was to try to um, help you know, young people um, take a, a bigger look at their lives, what they could do with that experience of serving. So how were you able to transition from being a coach, an instructor, and a chaplain assistant, and now you're serving as the executive director of the chapel, the four chaplains? Like, one, I, I think it would be good if you can explain what the chapel is about for the <laughs> listeners not familiar with it, but, like, how did you go from one to the other? So in 1989, when I joined the Army, there was an article about the four chaplains, and that's when you used to get Reader's Digest sent to your home. Mm-hmm. And I knew about the story. And, and, and it's, a, it's a neat story. came out of World War II. I think the biggest um, takeaway from the story is not really a religious story, but it takes place where there were four chaplains handpicked by the chief of chaplain's office to serve um, uh, during World War II, and they were sending them to um, Greenland, and they wanted a... Um, Protestant, um, Catholic, and, and a Jewish chaplain, because those are the three denominations that were represented at that yep. time. Yep. Um, unfortunately for them, their ship got sunk, uh, but at the end, um, as the ship goes down, these four chaplains give up their life jackets um, to the last four people on the ship, and it was a testament for two things. One, this act of selfless service, but you think about these guys were called to serve um, as pastors or ministers or rabbis. And in that short period of time, they did exactly what they're calling, you know, told them to do. They stayed on the ship and they prayed for the men yep. uh, that went down with the ship. And I think um, for me, when I left the military and I spent 30 years supporting chaplains, I knew, I knew about the organization and it, I still wanted to continue to serve chaplains. So I thought I would kind of jump into this you know, and see what I can do. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I knew not. I mean, I knew nothing about at the time running a nonprofit. You know, but I did know what it meant to take care of a garrison chapel. Yeah, and the foundation actually has a chapel in Philadelphia. It's been there for seventy years. So part of my reason on taking the position was to get that chapel 
um, to a standard I think it should be as a military, in this case, retired military chapel, mm-hmm. but then also to um, keep building that legacy of their foundation of selfless service and interfaith cooperation. Wow. And, and so, like, when you listen to that story, to me, those four chaplains absolutely exemplify the idea of servant leadership. I heard you say they gave up their life jackets and stayed on the boat and just prayed for the people that were getting off and prayed for the people that were staying on that didn't have a way to get off. Like, that is a way that people can really look at what leadership, selfless service, looks like. And if I remember correctly, you have a dinner every year that reminds people of that sacrifice and reminds people that we should all be selfless leaders. Well, the, the ship, the Dorchester, USAT Dorchester, it was sunk on February 3rd, 1943. So that's when we usually hold our banquet around that mm-hmm. time. And we have a Legion of Honor award system in which we honor people in the community uh, for acts of selfless service. And I, and I think it is a good reminder. You know, when, when you read the news and you hear about a lot of you know, division within the world, Here's four individuals that made decisions based on just the humanity of the situation. They, when, when the rabbi gave out his life jacket, he didn't ask the guy who they gave it to whether he was Jewish, or the priest didn't ask if you were Catholic, didn't ask if you were an immigrant, didn't ask any of that question. These were people that were uh, they're at their worst moment in their lives, and these guys just stepped forward and did the right thing. And I, I think that's a timeless message. you know. So that's one reason why I, I love working with the organization because um, you can't tell that message enough. Absolutely. Yeah, every year we hold our banquet, but it's a message you could tell every day, you know, to any age group. Well, Bill, I mean, if somebody is not familiar with the chapel, the four chaplains, or they haven't been there, where can they go to maybe visit the chapel or is there somewhere online they can go to learn more about it if they're far away? Well, we do have a website, www.fourchaplains.org. It'll tell you the story there. It gives the address, my contact information. Uh, we are located at the Navy Yard in Philadelphia. Um, it's an old, we t- we moved, our foundation moved into a retired Navy chapel that was built in 1942. So when the Navy Yard was decommissioned in the 90s, uh, we moved in and our foundation's been there about uh, 20 years. But we've been in Philadelphia for 70 years. We started at Temple University and eventually moved to the Navy Yard. So yeah, it's a great place to visit. People that walk in, especially if they served in the military, enjoy it because it kind of has the, I don't know, if you've ever been in the military and you walk in a, a chapel, it has a certain smell or feel to it. Yep. And this old Navy chaplain definitely has that. You feel kind of like, you know, you're back at basic training. That Absolutely. Yeah. But, but we've only got a, bit, a minute left, but the one thing I really want to get your thoughts on, you know, what advice would you give to a young person that maybe is considering the chaplaincy. You know, you talked about you want to help people have a bigger experience, and maybe your experience, you said, was a little bit backwards. So what thoughts would you give to somebody that's just starting out, and maybe they're trying to figure out what life is about and what steps God is calling them to next? What What would you say to them? I think the biggest thing is I think they should get a mentor that somebody does serve as a chaplain. I think they need to take a hard look at themselves and decide is God really calling them to this ministry? Yes. Because academically I mean, you can go online and get a degree you know, from a lot of universities so academically you could qualify 
to be a minister, but are you really called to be a minister? And I think in the military that's very important because if you have any doubts why you should be there, um, those doubts are going to come up in very stressful situations, and that's not fair to our, our service members. So I think the biggest thing for anybody thinking about it is talk to people that have served and talk to both civilian and military chaplains, and then also really think about um, are you being called to this? When you read the story of the four chaplains, each and every one of them, there was a part in their lives where they they knew exactly that God wanted them to be a chaplain. I mean, there was no doubt that that's where they should have been. And they all would have been very successful doing something else. So I think uh, it's not a matter of can you do it, it's whether a matter should you be doing it. Amen. Amen. Bill, I, I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show sharing your heart about the Chapel of the Four Chaplains and all that you've done in our Army as a chaplain assistant. Thank you so much, Bill. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on the show today. You're welcome. And your next your next um, assignment is to come and, and tell the Four Chaplains story in my chapel during uh, this upcoming year. Okay, sir? I'd love to. Thanks, Bill. All right, you're welcome. All right, when we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, let's just think about what we've heard from our guest. Tremendous, tremendous servant's heart from both Bob Thomas and Bill Kamer. Both of these gentlemen served as mentors for their entire careers in different ways, but you heard both of them talk about how important mentorship is and how they serve their community in that way. And I love what Bill said. He said, some people are like lacking a plan, and he just wanted to help them have a bigger experience by pouring into their lives. And then you heard Bob talk about the flip side of that. Um, you know, maybe with mentorship, you don't see an immediate result, but years later, you see that fruit of what you poured into people as you see them grow up into strong leaders in their community. So absolutely, you can serve in your community by being a mentor. And then when you look at how you can serve through faith, I love the story that Bob Thomas shared about how the students of King's College ROTC program, they wanted to go and help after 9-11. And so they were rejected in their efforts to actually go and serve. And so what they did was something so simple. They prayed in the street for the first responders. What a powerful, visible symbol that is. Just praying in the street. Think about how that touched people's hearts and really was able to provide hope. And in the same way, think about the chaplains that stayed on that sinking ship. They gave up their life vest and they prayed for people, those that were getting off the boat and those that were staying on the boat. Think about how you can pray for others and live out your faith. And finally, when you look at how you can serve in the military, you heard Bob Thomas talk about how selfless service is one of the Army values, that you do things not because you want to get rewarded, not out of immediate gratification, but because it's the right thing to do. And then I love where Bill was talking about when he went into the Army as a chaplain assistant, he had to have a really humble heart. He took a bit of a pay cut. It was a job that was below than uh, what he had been trained for, but it was where he could use his giftings. It's where he felt God had for him at that moment, and he was able to use his giftings and really bless other people. 
So ladies and gentlemen, no matter where you're at, no matter what you do, I encourage you, find a way to serve and love other people. Now very quickly, I just want to share with you a very heartwarming thing that happened to me just today before I was going to uh, come to the station. I was going to share something else with you, but I think this was really, really interesting. So for the last, I, I would say several years, um, I have these little cards in my car. And when I go to a drive through for fast food, I like to pay for the car that's behind me. And I give a card to the uh, attendant and I say, please give this card to the person behind me. And it says, your meal is paid for is just a small little token so you know that God loves you. And I've been doing this for years just to be able to bless people. And I've never, ever gotten anything returned. But today, I did. Today, I felt like a little tickle in my throat. I had a little bit of a cough. So I went to a local fast food restaurant to get uh, myself a beverage. And when I went to go pay for it, he said, hey, uh, this drink is on me. Really appreciate you waiting in line and no charge at all. And so you, you never know when good is going to come back to you. You never know what good you put into the universe that's going to come back to you. But I encourage you to always find a way to serve and love for other people. Listen, next week, two really great guests. I've got Colonel Dave Davis. He's an Army Reserve officer, and he's also the Director of Admissions for Penn State. In the second half, I have Mr. Justin Behrens, and he's the CEO and Executive Director at Keystone Mission. Finally, I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple Podcast mailing list, and you can do that through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. You can also check out the show tab on my site for previous episodes of this program. As you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Morning. I'm stealing your